Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study from the Broadcast Plaza in Teleport. Thank you for being with us. Thanks to all the men here in the room. And if you see guys walking by, obviously I think the door is propped open. If not, uh, we'll let them in uh, until it gets distracting, then we won't. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we are continuing our study of the Gospel, in John, Gospel of John. Today we go to John chapter 6. Uh, if you're following along how we've been studying, this is actually part 11. Uh, some of the things that we'll share with you at the, at the front end like we normally do. Uh, getting excited about some things that we're going to be launching in 2020, some things we've been working on in here for four years. Uh, be paying attention for that. But if you want to see places that I'm honored enough to be going out and speaking, uh, most all of it is involving men's ministry. Some of it is involving, uh, involving just being invited to churches. But the 2020 speaking schedule can be found at rickandbubba.com under events or at Burgess Ministries. Dot com under events as well. Also, my wife Sherry, you remember she uh, wrote the book Bronner, A Journey to Understand. We reference it in here quite a bit. She is completing the audio version of that. Uh, so that should be out in 2020 as well. For those of you that have been asking for an audio version of that, she is reading through the book herself. So you actually have her, the author, doing it. It'll be very, very moving and powerful. And I'll let you know when that's available as well. So that's really all the updates that we have for you today. Uh, if you want to reach me, you always can. Rick at rickandbubba.com. I'm happy to help you and, and walk with you any way that I can. And if I can't help you, I'll point you to somebody who can. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to jump into your word and to let you refine us. Uh, and Lord, today, uh, may we take away every little thing that you intend for us to take away. Today, for the veterans in the room, for those that may be further down the road uh, in their walk, I pray against uh, our attention being taken away because this is a, uh, something that you did in history that many of us may be familiar with, but never let us think that we've learned everything we need to know about it. Your word is alive and living, and every time that we dare to go deep into your revelation about yourself, because of your power, we always take something away from it. And I pray, Lord, today we certainly do. I pray a special prayer today for, for Speedy's family uh, and his mother and her health issues. I pray, Lord Jesus, all of us in this room and around the country uh, as we join together, I pray, Lord, that they find a solution for his family involving his mother, and we pray for her health. And, and Lord, we're excited to see how you're going to continue to use uh, his family as you already have. And uh, today, Lord, I pray that you be with those that made decisions for Christ uh, this, this, this week on Monday during the Challenge Golf Tournament. So many of those men right now trying to figure out what took place in their life. I pray, Lord, that you continue to help them take those seeds and that they take root and they are surrounded by those people that you put in their life to water uh, those decisions so that they become devout followers of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Yeah. And thanks to all of you that helped with the, um, uh, the Challenge Golf Tournament uh, this past Monday at Greystone here in Birmingham. Uh, it's a great organization, the Challenge Golf Tournament people. And uh, they've got a fundraiser coming up next week involving uh, some of the Atlanta Braves greats. If you want to find out more about that, uh, you can certainly find that, uh, find that from show notes uh, in yesterday's program there at rickandbubba.com. Uh, had about 70 golfers that, that uh, were not uh, tied to any church or had not uh, made a decision in their life for, for Christ. And uh, out of those 70 golfers, uh, well, by the time the day was done, 20 of them uh, made a decision uh, in some way, shape, or form for Jesus Christ and several of those uh, for first-time decisions right there at that uh, golf tournament. So we celebrate that, and thanks to all the hard work for all the volunteers that work so hard on that. All right, so let's... Uh, Let's jump in 
Uh, when you see in your Bible or something with your Bible on it, you heard me pray about this, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, I don't care how many times we've heard this, stay with me. You know, I don't want anybody to say, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't look ahead. I didn't know we were going to talk about this. I've heard this over and over again. I know everything about this. Well, never make that mistake. I have learned that I always take something away every time I go and look at parts of the Bible, maybe parts that I've looked at, you know, Several, several times, uh, there's always something there. So let, let's start off with, with talking about what's going on here. Um, we know that Jesus has talked about that he and the Father are equal and they are one. Uh, and after this, that's why you see this in, in chapter 6, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Uh, so let's let's set up the scene. Really, if you look at this, and, and every every and this is the, the 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 sign, as John would call it. Other people say the miracles. This is a miracle and a sign that Jesus did, the feeding of the five thousand, and you will find it in all four gospels. All, all four guys uh, covered this, and you'll, you'll glean different things from it. We're going to just focus on what John has to say about it today. But all of them have the same setup, and that is Jesus was trying to get away. Jesus was going to rest, and he wanted to take time and go sit down with his disciples. Now, remember, he had taken these early disciples, and he was already sending them out. So really, it would almost be like, you know, say in this room, we said, hey, let's break up in different groups and let's go different places. Let's go to uh, start talking about the, the, what, what's going on. And, and now what I want to do now, y'all come back to me and then let's go up on this mountain. Let's take some time. I'm going to rest. And I kind of want to talk to you about what's going on. Uh, let's, 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 uh, let me find out what you've been doing. Let's take some time from all the work we've been doing. Let's rest. But uh, the... The talk about Jesus and everything that had been going on caused crowds to try to find him and them uh, wherever they went. And you see this. So even though they're trying to go somewhere to relax, the crowds are not going to let that happen. Uh, they, they, they're going to where Jesus is located. And, and I think if you look at some of the, the different Gospels, you'll see that they say clearly that Jesus was trying to get away from the crowds, but as the crowds followed them, as a matter of fact, Jesus said it, I mean, uh, Mark said it very clear in, in his gospel, interviewing Peter about this whole ordeal. He said that he saw these crowds, and, and as tired as he was, and as much as they wanted to rest, he had compassion on them. And he said he saw them as, as, as sheep without a shepherd. And, and I, you know, that, you're thinking, well, are we going to land here for a minute? I'm going to say yes, because I can tell you that, that many times in our lives, do we need to rest? Yes. Do, do, as we said back talking about the Sabbath, but does the work ever end when somebody has a need? It doesn't. And, and so what we're thinking about, and, you know, if, if we're resting, what are we resting really for? Are we resting so that we can continue to do the work he's called us to do? Are we resting to spend time with those he's given us, you know, incredible responsibility to, our families? You know, are we spending time? What, what, are we, what is our rest about? But even if we can find every way in the world, does anybody think that Jesus was doing anything wrong by desiring to go rest? No. But what he said is, I want you to always be sensitive. Watch my example. I want you to always be, be sensitive that no matter how much you may be in need of something for yourself, be sure and look at people the way I look at them. And you know what? There's going to be time when you're going to be like me. You're going to have in your spirit, I need to show compassion to these people. 
And, and, and look, I will tell you, there's been times that I've had people that say, hey, I would really like to talk to you, and I didn't want to talk to them. I, I didn't want to sit down and talk to them. I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to not do that for, for, for whatever reason. It might be that I'm tired. It may be I'm just being selfish. And maybe I just don't want to do that. And, uh, you know, it's been, but then the Spirit prompted to say, you need to show this person compassion. You know, I have something that I want to say to them, and I'm going to say it through you, and, and, and don't deny the compassion to people that many people in your life didn't deny you when, when, you know, you were going through some tough things that took a lot of energy out of them. And so Jesus gave us the example to say, these people need me, and even though I'm going to rest, I'm going to show compassion on them. And you see this. It says, now the Passover, this is in verse 4 of John chapter 6. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now this is mentioned again by John, and, and so we can watch the time period. You're going to see that we're going to go through. We've already seen one Passover that was in chapter 2, verse 23. We see a second Passover. Now that one, as I said, was up for debate because it doesn't specifically call it a Passover, but much of the commentary says this is likely the, another Passover. And now here we are in the third Passover that John's covering, and that is in chapter 6-4. We'll see the fourth Passover coming up when we get to chapter 18 and 19. So there's, there's also some, 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 some indication that John's actually picking up this story, and there's actually a year that may have passed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. That's the reason why they're getting together to kind of talk about what's going on and that, um, that Jesus was going up to, to rest. Now, the other Gospels will say that this crowd that's coming upon him, that they had already, he'd already been healing them, and you see this, he'd already been, been talking to them, he'd already been teaching them, but then comes the moment where it's getting time for everybody to eat. All the different Gospels say this is getting toward the end of everything Jesus has been doing. And, and now what we're going to find out from John that you don't find in Luke, you don't find in Matthew, you don't find in Mark, is John's going to specify what Philip and Andrew are doing. This same topic is covered in the other three Gospels. They just don't tell you who's doing what. John's going to give you details. He's going to say, I'm going to tell you who did what, who said what, who did what. And I kind of like that, that John's giving us a little more detail. So we're at Passover number number three, and this, this was, of course, was in Capernaum. That, that was kind of the headquarters for the duration of Jesus' ministry in Palestine. And, uh, and again, they think maybe about a year has elapsed from chapter five to chapter six. Uh, and uh, they were looking for solitude. They were sitting around talking. And of course, also, another thing that, that I thought was interesting to take away when you, you take about the, talk about that, that human side of Jesus that knows everything that we've ever gone through. Uh, also, historically, if you look at the commentaries about what's going on, Jesus had just been informed that John the Baptist had been killed, uh, that he had been beheaded. So he, he also was in a time of grief about this. So he really had some great excuses to say, y'all going to have to go deal with this crowd, I'm out. I, I can't do this today. And, and look, I'm not saying that we don't rest. That's not what the Bible's saying. But it is saying that, Ultimately, we're here to try to serve those that are seeking Jesus. You know, we don't deny that. And um, uh, I, I was uh, in a situation yesterday where I ended up uh, having a fender bender 1.6 miles from where I had just picked my truck up. Uh, so I, I had driven this truck for 1.6 miles before it was hit by somebody. And, uh, and so 
1.6. But anyway, so, so as, as uh, and I asked Joel, who's in here, I said, have I set a record? He said, no, we've actually had people get hit leaving our parking lot. But, that, but I'm in, I, I got to be top 10, though. But anyway, so, so, but you know what? I'm sitting there, and everything in my flesh says, I'm going to light this, these people up when they get out. I cannot believe they weren't watching what they were doing. And I mean, I was in the mode of, I, I got things to do. I got places to be. I've, I'm headed from one place to another. I, I don't have time for this. And, and, and this shouldn't have happened. This is not my fault. And, uh, and as soon as they stepped out of the car, I looked over there, and you know who I saw? I saw my mom and dad. And I thought to myself, they, they really hate this happen, you know? And, and, they, and they said, hey, I didn't see you. And I don't, I don't know where you came from, but I was trying to switch lanes. I had my blinker on. I didn't see you, and I came over on you. And, you know, because of what God has allowed me to go through, you know what God reminded me in this very moment? This is not a tragedy. There's no ambulances here. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's dead. Hey, you've seen tragedies. This isn't one. This is an inconvenience. That's all this is. But also, you're now standing here with two people, so what are you, you going to do with it? You know, if I have to, to bang somebody's car into your car to get in a conversation with them, I will. And so, not, look, this is, I, trust me, this is supernatural. <laughs> trust me on that one. Okay? And so, I just began to tell them not to worry about it, that, that it, it wasn't a big deal. And, uh, and then I began to talk to them, you know, about Jesus, and I began to talk to them about the grace and the mercy that we all been shown, ask them if there's anything I could pray for them. And we just stood there in the parking lot, and we all held hands, and we prayed, and we talked about how thankful we were that this wasn't a bigger deal than it is, and had a great conversation with them. And, and they certainly were saying, hey, we'll, we take responsibility for it, and, and all of that, and, and it was great. There was, there was no hard feelings, and, and then we actually ended up talking about what really mattered. Well, that, that's the deal, is if we got to get to the point following Jesus, and I fail at this all the time, but you know what? That doesn't mean I'm going to continue to fail at it. Somebody say amen to that. You know, just because we're not doing well in an area, that is, is that just the way it's always going to be? We're just never going to improve? So God has really, is really teaching me now, I don't just bring people to you for no reason. You know, if these people are crossing your path, and I'm bringing people through, did you not pray today? That you want to be in my will? Yes, Father, I did. Well, well, then when I start working my will out throughout the day, why are you missing it? I bring people to you, so ultimately you can point them to me. And, and, so, and I will tell you, the minute I got there, and it took me a minute to get there, but the minute I got there, I got to tell you, the peace that, of the Holy Spirit was just like, this really isn't a big deal. You know, do I, do I turn around and take it back to Joel and just get the car back I just dropped off? I mean, what, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Now, the insurance company dealing with them tried to take me back to the flesh. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you, you, learn, you learn pretty quick what? This was what insurance is. I give you a premium, and you know what they say is, we bet you won't have a wreck. You know what I go? I bet I will. You know, that's insurance. What is life insurance? You know what they say? We bet you won't die early, and we go, I bet I will. You know what I mean? And so that's how, you know, what, what's medical insurance? We bet you won't get really sick. You go, I bet I will. It's, and that's just, that's what insurance is. And insurance is great until you try to use it. And, uh, and, 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 they, and you know what? They know people like me. I think they just try to wear you out where you just give up on it. I'll just pay for it. And, uh, and that happened to me yesterday. And she said, Rick, don't, don't do that again. That's it. I'm just going to get it fixed. And, uh, and, and she said, you know, that's why premiums are not so high. But people like Rick who just give up. You think I've ever sent a rebate in? Ever? 
you think I'm going to send a rebate in? I never send a rebate in. If you'll hassle me enough, I won't even go get money that belongs to me. You know what I mean? So, so, so anyway, um, so Jesus shows us that he had compassion even when it would have been easy to say, you don't know what I've been through. So when you look at it too, it too you see the large crowd is, is following Jesus. So as usual, he showed compassion. And again, as I said, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And, uh, and so let's talk about John giving us some specifics about what happens next. Because he gives us more specifics uh, as far as the people uh, than the other three Gospels. So look at this. So Jesus lifting his eyes, chapter five, I mean, verse 5, then seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Now the other Gospels tell you when he lifted his eyes and he saw them, that he had compassion on them. John doesn't cover that, but, but know that's what's happening right here. And then here's where John makes his Gospel unique with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus said to Philip. So now John's going to give you specifics. The others don't. So it's Philip that Jesus, Jesus is now bringing this to his attention. So Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these, so these people may eat? Philip, what are we going to do? Now, if you look at the other three Gospels, they're bringing up to Jesus, hey, it's, it's getting time to eat. We've got to send these people away. And then Jesus now, in response to what they've been talking about, says to Philip, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to buy the bread? It's a lot of folks here. Now, I love when you don't have to say, well, I wonder why he did that, Rick. You know why you don't have to say that? Read the next line. Because John says in 6, He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus knows he, what he's going to do, but he wants to say to Philip, so what are we going to do about this? You know, you, you see in some of the other Gospels, you know, when, when, uh, when he says to them, we'll give them something to eat. What he's doing is he's setting up a moment like he does with us when you say, you know, a situation presents itself, and Jesus will say, well, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Well, I, you got to love Philip, though. Philip, you know, not known as the Eeyore of the bunch, he, he looks up and he says, hey, it would take 200 denarii, and even that would not buy enough bread for each of them to just get a little. So, and, and these numbers you've probably heard of before, but for, if you haven't, I want to share that with you. So, Jesus asked him where they're going to buy the bread for this many people. Now, this number that Philip throws out, and I like that Philip threw out a number. Well, I got a number here, but it's still not going to be enough. And that was eight months' wages. That's what 200 denarii would be. And, and then he even says, even if we did eight months' wages, we can only make a dent in it. So, so Jesus is making sure that Philip understands what we have here is impossible. You know, just like, you know, many people have gone to the part where Jesus talks about, you know, about a rich man and to get into heaven, you shake your camel through the eye of a needle and all these things. And what we're missing with all that, and people chase around what that is and what that isn't, but what Jesus is always presenting are situations that are impossible. Why is he giving you know, situations that are impossible? Because he wants you to know that he's the only one that can do it. Hey, you'll never, ever be perfect enough to stand before the Father, no matter what you do. You know, you, you, you see him talking to the, the, the young rich ruler. I've kept everything we're supposed to keep as a Jewish man, teacher. And then he says, well, then sell everything you got. And then follow me. Well, I'm not going to do that. 
See, what, what he was addressing was that, that specific problem, going, well, you really, you really haven't done everything, have you? You're not willing to do everything. There's nothing you can do to be fully righteous, and that's what I'm here to do. So it's an impossible situation. I love to turn to Andrew here. So now he turns to Andrew, or Andrew comes to him, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he says, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Look, I, I found a kid here. I, we, got, we got five loaves. I got a couple of fish. But he does say, but I don't know what that's going to do. But you got to love Andrew saying, here's what you got to work with. We don't have 200 denarii, and we, 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 we don't have that. But I got this kid, but I don't know what impact that is going to have. Now, a lot of the, com, com, uh, the commentary talks about that this was likely uh, when you have these loaves. They said it was kind of a big deal, though, the kid had barley loaves. That's a little more expensive. But the fish, we're talking about probably the fish had been pickled, because a lot of times they'd have pickled fish, and they would eat that uh, with the bread. And so uh, Andrew has brought this up to, to our Lord and Savior, and Jesus said to him, have the people sit down. Now, you you, you got to love, hey, we, we're, moving, we're moving to action. How much money will we need, Philip? More than we got. And even if we had that, we could make a dent in it. Andrew, hey, Jesus, I got a boy here. I got five barley loaves. I got two fish, but I don't know what that's going to do. And Jesus' next phrase was not anything that should cause any concern to anybody. Remember that. That's important. Jesus didn't say, wow, I don't know about this. I guess we're done. I guess that's it. Thank you, Andrew. I mean, you're you're right. Hey, just keep the stuff, son. There's nothing we can do with that. Philip, thank you for clarification. I had no idea we didn't have the money or the food for this. And uh, so I, I guess just send them home. I mean, Jesus goes to action. Tell everybody to sit down. Why does he tell them to sit down? Because we're about to eat. Tell everybody to sit down. What, what seems like a big deal to you, Philip, and seems like a big deal to you, Andrew, is not a big deal at all as long as I'm here. As long as I'm here, it's not a big deal. But Jesus makes sure that we understand that what's going to take place next could not be done by Philip. It couldn't be done by Andrew. It couldn't be done by any of the disciples. It couldn't be done by anybody else there but him. Now, we know that the sit-down is also something that I love. If you look at the other Gospels talking about this, and as I said, this is in all four, he really specifies, here's even how I want you to group them. Sit them in these groups of 50, and let's spread them out through here. We know we're about to see it in a minute. We're talking about a number of 5,000 men, which that means about 15,000 people. Some people say maybe as many as 20,000. I don't know that, but we do know that there's more people there than just the men that we know. And, and so, it, hey, 5,000 is a big number, even if we didn't have anybody else. But, but know that it's even bigger than that. And so, but here's what I like, and this is something I want you to learn if you haven't already learned it, because I had to learn it. If you're always looking at any particular situation and you're wondering if God is in it, let me tell you where you won't find God, in chaos. Now, see, the adversary loves chaos. So you didn't see... Jesus stand up and go, don't worry about it. You ain't going to believe what I'm about to do. Ah! Everybody shouts around, you ain't going to believe it. Hey, if y'all get in line, I'll start handing out food. Ah! In the line and all the mayhem and all that. You know what he said? Have everybody sit down. I want them in groups and I want to be orderly. 
Now, does he need everybody to be orderly to do a miracle? No, but you know, he's showing you I'm a God of order. I, I don't like chaos. Because in chaos, there's confusion. And where there's confusion, there's evil. And where there's evil, you'll find the adversary. So I don't, I don't do chaos. I do order. And I'll tell you this, brothers. I, I, I love you as your brother in Christ, and I've been to this. If your life is chaotic, you're probably not serving the Lord. It's got of order, which means you're going to have to. We got, I will tell you this. You know why I didn't do a lot of things for the Lord sooner than I did? Because my life was chaotic. I didn't have anything left. Now, he should have been placed priority, but the way I treated my life was I'll get to you, Lord, after I've handled all this other stuff I've built up in my life and how I've got myself overstretched and overcommitted and, and, and we're strung out here. And, I, and I, for some reason, I don't have the word no in my vocabulary for my family or my children. I want to do this, 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 and this. You can't do all that. It's impossible. Our lives will be chaos. You can do one. Pick. I want to be in this. And I want to be in that. And I want to be in that. And I want to be, no. you got to prioritize. Pick one. I don't mind you having extracurricular activities, but we're not going to be in every little thing that comes along because you know what our family turns into? Uh, a, a chaotic band of people going from place to place, and we never settle down, and we never settle down to be orderly so we can hear from the Lord. We're always on the run. Now, there's some of that in life you can't avoid, but minimize it. Minimize it. Look, I've done it the wrong way. I'm just telling you because I've done it the wrong way. And I'm telling you, that's no way to live. You, you don't make relationships with your wife. You don't make relationships with your children. You don't get plugged in at your church. And you certainly can't do what God's called you to do because you've created all this other stuff and all you ever do is run. And I, I remember telling my wife, I'm never going to be like that again. I hate that. I hate to be in that place. You're just running from place to place to place to place. And you never, you don't even know each other. And, you know, that's why a lot of, 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 of people divorce late in life because they've done nothing but put their kids at the center of the universe and let their kids get involved in everything under the sun and they've run from one place to the other until they look up and their kids have gone off to college and they turn around and look at each other and say, I don't even know who you are. I haven't invested in you. I haven't invested in the faith. Our kids, were that, that was our God. Uh, being, I've, got, I've got some people in my life right now that I would like to be better friends with, but they don't know the difference between a friend and an acquaintance, so I never get to have any time with them. They're always going somewhere or doing something. So how are you ever going to sit down and have a cup of coffee and get to know each other? You know, you really can't be a friend to, 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 to so many people because you know what? You don't ever spend time with anybody. You just spend a little bit of time with a lot of people, but you don't know anybody. And so what he's talking about, when, when I've got a, a, a 15,000 to 20,000 people in front of me, and, I, and I, I'm God, you know what he said? I want everybody to sit down. I want you in certain groups, and then we'll start feeding you because I'm a God of order. Don't miss that. So then the next thing that, that, that he says, he said, now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000. Notice they specify the man. I want you to put a, underline that too. Can I tell you another reason why John's telling you that? I learned that this week. It was really kind of cool. You'll see here when we get to 15 that they're going to try to take him by force and make him king after this because this is a big one. What John is letting you realize is there's enough men there to overtake us if they needed to. We're outnumbered. 
And if these men, when, when, the reason why you're going to see us leave here in a minute is, if, you know, certainly they can't go against Jesus, but there's enough men there to kind of push the envelope and kind of, kind of have a little anarchy, and, and they, they could have gone south at any, any moment, including trying to make Jesus king, not the type of king that he really was. So he wants you to know, hey, we've got a lot of men here, and he's got them to sit down, and he's got them in order. And Jesus took the, uh, the, the, number, took the bread, the loaves, and when he had given thanks. Now let's under, underline that too. So here's Jesus. You remember, like we talk about a lot of things we've talked about. Remember that time we came in and we did the lesson? I, I don't remember how many years ago it was on how to pray and how not to pray. Do you remember that? And, and what we did, we said, well, Jesus said, here's how to pray and here's how not to pray. You know, I've had many people talk to me. I went through this. You know why I wanted to, to take grace and abuse it? Because I wanted to say I don't have to fast if I don't want to. I wouldn't have to fast anymore. And then I read a book called How to Fast, and the, the author of the book said, well, the reason why I've written a book about how to fast is because Jesus says when you're fasting, do this, and when you're, not, and when you're fasting, don't do that. He must intend for us to do it. And you find people throughout Scripture, when they got a big decision coming up, or they're trying to figure out what God wants for their life, they fast. And so this is Jesus again, and what does he say? Why, why is Jesus giving thanks? So we will. He's showing us what to do. Now, I don't want to get all legalistic about this. He ain't, he's not asking about to bless the food. He's giving thanks. And so one of the commentaries that I read that I, that I would trust, and of course I threw out the one that said 6 p.m. the other day for the woman at the well. I want you to know that. But anyway, uh, but anyway the, um, when he's giving thanks, it said most of the time with him being, of course, a Jewish person, he's probably doing something which was normal for them. And this is what they would be something like this. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. Now they're saying they don't know what Jesus said, but if a Jewish man got up and he had bread and he gave thanks to God, they usually said this. And, and, and they usually said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. And then you sat down and everybody began to eat. So we give thanks for what God has given us and what God has provided, mainly because Jesus did. You see throughout Scripture, he always got the bread out and what he said, and then he gave thanks. So he's got everybody in front of him and, and he gives thanks, and then here's what happened next. After he gave thanks, he said he took the loaves, he gave thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, I like that. Is that. Did John put that in there saying if you didn't sit down, you didn't get anything? I remember that. Let me tell you why. I remember this. I, I, this happened to, uh, on a mission trip in South Africa. I remember it vividly because here we come, the white people from the United States of America, and what we want to do, of course, what is take over. And, of course, you're coming to work with the indigenous people that we're here to help, not to take over. And so when I get there, we were doing a, we were doing a, a children's camp with some kids, and so one of the South African men that was working in the camp, he said, the, the children are supposed to be here at 9 a.m. I said, okay. And he says, if they don't come at 9, don't, don't give them a sandwich and juice. And I was like, what? So I, I was just like, wow. So I, I, I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. So a kid comes up about 920, and, uh, and he wants the juice and the bread. And he looks at me and says, don't give it to him. And I'm looking because, you know, I've come to the United States, and I want to go home and say that I gave a sandwich to a poor little boy in Africa. And uh, you know what he said? He said, see, you're going to get on the plane and leave, and you're going to create chaos here. We said be here at 9. 
because we're going to do the Bible story, and we're going to do, they, they're going to have to sit through. What he's trying to do is miss the Bible story and then still get his food. So he didn't get any today. And I bet you he'll be here at 9 tomorrow if he wants to eat. And I thought, well, that seems kind of cruel. He says, no, what, what we're doing is we're not going to let chaos take over this. If you don't do what we told you to do, then you don't get the bread and you don't get the juice. He, he was looking for order. He, he said, we're not going to let this turn into chaos where it turns into, because you know what he said? We can give them a, a sandwich and we can give them juice. And if we don't give them Jesus, we haven't given them anything. This is us earning the right to present Jesus, but he's trying to work the system, and we're not going to let him do it. And I love when he said, when you get on your plane and go home, you're going to leave me with this problem you're creating. So I did what he said, and, uh, and it was very difficult, and it kind of ruined the picture. I was trying to get him a hand in a sandwich to a poor little boy. Uh, couldn't put that on Instagram, could I? But anyway, so, um, so anyway, by the way, the Babylon Bee thing where they say that people, because people like to put out there what they're doing for ministry all over the world, Certainly nothing wrong with that if it's in the right spirit. But they said Babylon B, a company was created to set up fake scenes like you're in third world countries, and you can just act like you're doing ministry and put it on your Instagram. That, that Babylon B, somebody who writes for Babylon B has worked, Babylon B has worked in the church before. You know, they, they just know too much. Uh, so, so anyway, so then, and then what he said, what? He takes it out, and he distributes the food to everybody who was seated. So also the fish, which means we're going to give them fish too. And look at the next line, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. So he's got two fish, he's got five loaves, and he's got, he's not just saying, be happy with what we can give you. He says, now don't miss this. This is, this, is, this is one of the takeaways for me this week. You know what this is symbolizing. This is Jesus saying, when you because he's going to tell us this, and we, we, I don't have plan for us to get into that today because I think it deserves its own day about him being the bread of life. But that's where we're headed. But we can go ahead and prepare ourselves for it this week. And he's saying that if you decide to consume me, you can have as much of me as you want. There's never a limit to how much Jesus you can have. You can have as much as, you're wanted, as you want. And I think too many times our attitude, and I'm talking about Rick Burgess, Now I don't have that attitude now because I'm slowly being completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I've tasted the Holy Spirit and I've tasted uh, the wonderful uh, deliciousness of Jesus, the bread of life, and I've found that he is good. And so I don't ever have enough of it. But I remember a time in my life when my deal that I wanted to cut with God is, I believe that Jesus redeems the world. Can I have enough of him to be saved? Can I just have enough to get through today? Can, can you just give me enough of Jesus that I don't go to hell? Boy, that's a dangerous game to play. That's a dangerous game to play. I'll go as far as speaking to my life. You, you, can, you can apply it to your own. I'm talking about me. Okay. Remember, it all starts with me first, because sadly, I've got a testimony that can apply to just about any situation, sadly. But I really, truly believe, because I tried that, if that's your attitude, you'll never truly know Jesus. If there's a way for you to consume any of Jesus sincerely, sincere, you've actually really consumed Jesus, I don't think it's possible for you to say, I'm good. I'm good. That's enough. I'm fine. I don't think you've ever really experienced it. 
And that's why you see things throughout Scripture. It says if you really have been transformed by Jesus, you'll see all kinds of things take place because of who he is. You know, people just don't encounter Jesus and then stay the same. We got too much respect for Jesus, right, to think that can happen. How many of you have been through a time in your life? Well, you don't have to raise your hand because that's not fair. I'll tell you I've been through a time in my life where I was trying to find a way not to go to hell but really never encountered Jesus. Hey, that's impossible. Not because I said it, because the Scripture says it. So, so, so here it is. So, so Jesus says they got all that they wanted. So I think we can look at our lives and say that we really get the amount of Jesus that we want, 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. That nothing may be lost. Hey, gather it all up now. Don't leave anything to be lost. Gather it all in. Don't let, it, don't let any of it lay out here and be lost now. now. Now let's think about this because we know that when manna was provided for the children of Israel, they were told not to store any of it because it would spoil. What they were supposed to do is get into a place to be so trusting of God that he would provide for them the next day, that it showed a lack of faith on their part if they tried to store any of it in case he didn't give it to them the next day. And so they were told if they did that, it will spoil. But here's Jesus saying, we got some left over, let's gather that up so we don't lose any of it. So what's going on here? Well, see, everything that needs to be, needs to be fulfilled is about to be fulfilled. And what he's saying now is, I'm the bread of life. You always store up every part of me that you need to. Be sure nothing is left. Don't, don't, don't leave any of it. Take all of it. And I promise you that I'll never spoil. And every time you need sustenance, I'll be there. I'll be there. This is a different deal with the bread today. And he'll explain that more when we get into the latter part of six. And we probably won't get there today. But, uh, but no, he's setting that up. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from, from the barley, five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. All right, so now a lot of you have probably heard this before, and, and, and there seems to be some validity to this. Because uh, now remember, there's a feeding of the 5,000, and we often forget there's a feeding of the 4,000 as well. Matter of fact, a friend of mine wrote a book only about that miracle because it's one that's almost overlooked and all the things that we find out in that. One of the things that drives me crazy about the feeding of the 4,000 is they ask Jesus, what are we going to do about food? And that drive, how did he not go, are you kidding me? Do y'all not remember the 5,000 men? How can y'all be asking what we're going to do about food? But anyway, so we won't get into that, but, but it's important to mention that now because here it is. The 12 baskets, if, if you look at the word basket used here in the original Greek, it's a type of basket that the Jewish people used. Okay? And so it's obvious by most all that he is, he is showing, I'm going to provide salvation and I'm going to provide enough for all the 12 tribes of Israel. There'll be enough to fill all 12 tribes. Because if you look to the 4,000, this kind of stuff's fun. In the 4,000, the type of basket they used to gather up the leftovers there, it's not the kind of basket that the Jewish people used. It was actually the kind of basket the Gentiles used. 
It's a different word. And they said the, fighting, the feeding of the 4,000, there was only seven baskets left. And that represents salvation for the Gentiles. So he's showing salvation for the Jews, and then he's showing salvation for the Gentiles in these two miracles. And certainly that is opinion, uh, but, uh, but, I, but when you look at the word for basket being different, it's really, really interesting. So, um, so let's look at 14. Um, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This is indeed the prophet that has come into the world. So now when, when, you, when you think about this, remember what I said about the bread. Remember what I said about Moses. And, and when we get to verse 32, you're going to see this repeated, but I don't think we're going to get there today. So pardon me for going here first. You'll see us revisit this again. But write down Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. And what you'll find here is God promises that there will be a prophet that is coming that will be like Moses. And if you'll, you'll see here in 15, John isn't saying that them saying this, that they're, they're wrong. What they're doing is they're just focused on the food instead of being in victory as opposed to focusing on salvation. See, they're reading this that God's going to send them a prophet that what? Is going to bring the Jewish people to victory. In this case, is going to overthrow this Roman rule. And they're saying, this is the guy. But they're missing it. They're, they realize that he's a prophet, and they're thinking, this is the prophet. He just did something with bread, and we had the manna. Hey, it's a bread thing. This is, that mo this is that prophet that the Bible tells us, that Deuteronomy tells us, this is the prophet that will be like Moses. So he's going to lead us to victory, and we will never be without food. So they're missing that. But, but this is what they're saying, and you know why we know they're missing it? Because Jesus didn't go along with it. Jesus didn't go along with it. I mean, if, if you go back and you look at it, and when Jesus has the encounter with Peter, you remember when Peter pulls Jesus aside, when Jesus keeps talking about he's going to be crucified and he's going, he's going to have to die, and Peter's like, i got to pull you out of the line. What is, what is this? What are you talking about? I'm never going to let that happen. Now, this is Peter who, who said, because the Father revealed it to him, he's, he said that he got Jesus right of who he is, right? Remember, Jesus says, well, look, my Father revealed that to, to me, and this is what we're going to build the church on. What you just said about me, hey, Peter, you got it right, but you only got it right because my Father revealed it to you. And then Peter says, I tell you what's not going to happen is you're not going to be crucified. You're not going to be killed. You're not going to die. He didn't know about crucifixion, but you're not going to die. And what did Jesus say? Don't go tell people about me. I remember saying that. I mean, why would you tell Peter? I thought he got it right. Well, he doesn't understand it. He's about to go out and tell people the wrong thing about Jesus. Hey, I need you, Peter, to wait to Acts chapter 2. Right now, you, 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 you've got it wrong. Okay, you got, you got it partially right, but you don't have it completely right, so I would just rather you not say anything. You know, there's some people that until their theology is right, God doesn't want them talking about him because they they're not saying it right. Do you want to send somebody off? to a place that's never heard the gospel before, they can't get the gospel right? So if, since they were going to, to, to now make him king, look at 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king Jesus, 
that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I'm out. Now we know next week when we get down, he's going to come back and have a speech with the disciples, and he's going to talk to them about how everybody missed it. And we'll talk about that coming up next week. But we're still going to go on to him walking on the water here in a moment because there's a lot, there's some good stuff we can take away from that before we leave. But now keep in mind, Jesus withdrew from people that didn't get him right. So that also tells us if we are trying to seek after a Jesus that is not biblical, we cannot expect him not to withdraw himself from us. He's not going to give himself to people that won't accept him for who he really is. If you're going to try to take Jesus and mold him into what you think he should be, he'll withdraw from you. We've got to, we've got to, to, to know who Jesus is. Remember in, in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and believe that his Father you know, raised him from the dead on the, on the third day, that, that, that we, you know, we will be saved. See, see, this is one of those things that you have to think about. I, I love this wonderful part. I go back to what, what the other gospel said about this part when, when, when Jesus is looking to, to Philip, and in this case he's asking, well, how are we going to buy this food? The other gospel say he was also saying, well, won't you all give him something to eat? Now, this is twofold. This is twofold. Number one is, is pretty obvious it's Jesus saying, well, if you think y'all can handle this, y'all handle it. I want to show how inept you are to handle this situation. That's one way to look at it, and that's certainly a lot of truth to that because Jesus sets up and he does, does the miracle. But another thing I think we got to take away from this is we know that Jesus is ultimately going to get to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see them doing what Jesus said to do. Said to do. We know the Great Commission is going to take place before we get there, and what Jesus has ultimately told them and told us Back to him getting things right with Peter again. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. He's saying, y'all go and y'all make disciples and y'all teach them to obey all I've commanded you. And, and you guys, of course, if we're Southern, y'all, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another thing he's teaching is saying, they're going to come to you after I'm gone, and they're going to have a spiritual hunger, and I'm going to be already gone to the Father, and I'm giving you my presence, and they're going to start coming up to you, and you're going to see them like sheep without a shepherd, and you know who needs to feed them then? You need to feed them. What are you going to do about it? And he prepared them for that. And it made me think of Romans 10, 14, how then... Will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Who, who have preached the good news. So really, here, here's Paul saying, look, it's our responsibility now. We're at that point when Jesus was looking at Philip and Andrew and said, well, won't y'all give them something to eat? So, so how are we going to get the bread for these people? And you know what that is to you and me? How are you going to go out and give people Jesus if you don't know what to do? Hey, man, I got people around me, man. They got a lot of problems. Well, what are you going to do about it? 
hey, man, I tell you what they need is Jesus. Well, why don't you give it to them? I, I, I don't really know how to do that. Well, I guess then that you didn't get it, all of me that you did. So really, all you, when, you, when I said that you could have as much of me as you wanted, you didn't want enough. Now people dying. Now people all around you. And you know what? They're hungry. And there's many more than 5,000 of them. Can you not take me like I took two fish and five loaves and just continue to give me out and they can have as much of me as they want and you'll never run out of me? How are they going to know? So the next thing we see is that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he went away. Uh, if you look at all the different Gospels, you'll find they don't know where he went. The, the disciples are hilarious to me because they represent us. You know, Jesus just said, I'm out. And they don't worry us. And eventually, I guess they go, well, let's, let's get in the boat and let's, let's go over to the other side and see if we can go rest like we were originally trying to. So it says the disciples, when evening came, they went down to the sea, they got in the boat, and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And Jesus had, had not yet come to them, which means what? They waited till it was just dark. At some point, somebody said, guys, I don't think he's coming back. They were waiting around on him. And then so they get in the boat and they go. And I love that, that, that they didn't leave until it was dark. That's, that's important. And Jesus had not come to them. You know, a lot of times when you're sitting there in the darkness, you know what you're waiting on? When's Jesus going to come? You ever been there? Hey, it's getting dark. You think he's going to come? I mean, it's dark. Can I, can I tell you this, though? He will come, as you'll find out. The sea became rough. You ever been there? Because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, wow, a lot of rowing. They saw Jesus on the sea coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus, I'm in the dark. The wind's picking up. The waves are banging against us. And you just keep looking. And as soon as Jesus is seen by them, they were terrified because they didn't know what was happening when he's walking across that water. And what's the first thing he says to them? Hey, it's, it's me. Don't be afraid. And, and what does that mean? That means that when Jesus is with you, don't be afraid. Look, y'all do realize when he gets on there, we're going to see it's still raging. But he steps onto the boat out of the water and says, don't be afraid. The other gospels will tell you this is when Peter went out to him. John, for some reason, I don't know why John doesn't want to cover that. I guess he says, y'all already know that. I was going to tell you, I was, I'm just documenting this is that same timeline. And we know that, that, that when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. And this is the same uh, situation that's taking place. This is that same account. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. <laughs> but we love Jesus when he comes to save the day, don't we? We were glad to take him into the boat. Do we have to get there, though, before we're glad to take him into the boat? Why don't we put him in the boat before we ever leave? You know, there's one lesson you look at this go, why didn't they just wait? Don't leave till he comes. Now, he still came to where they were. Because once again, what? He just continues to show compassion. But why didn't they just wait till he got there? How about we not leave until Jesus comes back? We'll just wait because I want him in the boat. 
But see, once again, like we always do, they pushed away without him in the boat, didn't they? And then what happened? Things got rough, and everybody started calling for Jesus, and Jesus made his way out to where they were as opposed to being with them when they left, but he still came. Well, we serve a gracious God, don't we? And then they were glad to take him in the boat. Well, we love that, don't we? Hey, you bailed me out of something, Jesus. Come on. Hey, we love you in the boat now. But see, we're supposed to love him because of what he did for us on the cross. And I love this. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. Some commentators say that's a miracle in of itself. I kind of, and another say, well, maybe they just had gotten that far across the sea. Something was interesting about this that I, that I did take away. I don't know which one of those are right. The word immediately makes it sound like it almost was supernatural that they were to the side, but we do know that the, the winds and all that calmed immediately. And we know there's another time that's documented as well. But the, these miracles involving the sea and Jesus was another way for him to show the Jewish people who he was. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, go to, go to Psalms 107. Psalms 107, 23 through 32. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. And they were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Listen to 29. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, sound familiar, that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Well, that sounds an awful lot about what just, like, what just happened. They'd heard this about God before. It sounds like it's exactly what happened. And as a matter of fact, if you look, and you can write these down, Job 38, 8 through 11, Psalms 29, 3 and 4, Psalms 10, verse 11, Psalms 65, 5 through 7, Psalms 89, 9. And then the Psalms 107, I just read from 23, 32. In all these places in the Old Testament, you know what you'll find the sea represents? Chaos. You'll find that the sea represents evil, chaos, trouble, distress, and God's the one who can tell it to be quiet. But don't miss this. And I'd often wondered about this, but I don't wonder about it anymore. Are you ready for this? Remember, all these verses I just gave you, shows you that in the Bible, the sea stands for darkness. I mean, it stands for chaos, trouble, distress, and God calms it. Oh, this is good. And I never understood this completely till this week. If you got your Bible or something with your Bible on, let's go to Revelation 21. We got John again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. It's gone. 
The sea represents chaos, trouble, distress. I know there's some people that don't like this part of the Bible because they love going to the beach. <laughs> Let's not be an idiot now. Some of y'all are going to be disappointed if God didn't do heaven the way you want him to do it. Do you really think you know heaven better than he does? Do you really think you'd be disappointed in heaven if something you loved on earth is gone? No, what John is saying is Jesus has made everything new and part of everything being made new, all this trouble and all this chaos and all this distress and all this fear that the sea represented, the sea's no more. We don't get caught in storms anymore. That's over. That's over. Now, it's not over here. That's why we still need to be sure we don't get in the boat without Jesus. But one day, one day when the church age is over, and the new heaven and the new earth are prepared, I'll tell you what we're not going to find there is a sea full of distress, chaos, and storms. That will be no more. You may have those in your life right now. Remember, Jesus is on record, God is on record, that if he tells these things in your life to stop, they stop. They stop. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for helping us to glean things out of this that maybe we, we have, have never gleaned before. Um, I thank you for how you've refined me this week in preparation Really, honestly, Lord, you know that, and I repent of this. I, I started out thinking, well, this week I don't have that much to do. I know this story pretty well. And you, <laughs> I was incorrect. So thank you for once again tolerating me and how ridiculous I can be and how somehow I sit back and think that maybe you've taught me everything about any part of the Bible that I needed to know. Thank you for reminding me again that I am foolish to think that you've ever shown me everything that you can show me about anything. And I repent of that. Help me, Lord, to take these things and apply them to my life. Help us all to do the same. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.